we've been in the series of talks called Reset, where we're saying, God, would you reset everything that is in us, everything that is uh, in in everything that we're involved in, all of the stuff of our life, would you reset it around you and you alone? Everything in us that has been distracted, distorted, confused, God, would you come and push the reset button on our souls and open us up to the glory that you have for us? We've been using the biblical season of Jubilee to kind of help us navigate through what does it look like for us to be a people that live with great expectation and great grace. And if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 17 today. And um, the, the reason this passage is so powerful is it is one, it's not the only one, but it is one of the passages in Scripture where we get a really clear view of what jubilee should look like in the life of a believer. What, it, what a heart should look like that is in love with the living God who's experienced the grace, the mercy, the power, the extravagance of the God that we serve. And I'm going to read a lot of the Bible here in just a minute. Any Bible lovers in the house? Um, we're going to read a lot of the Bible, and I hope that you hang in with me as we kind of mow through a big chunk of Scripture because it's all so good. I didn't think it would be appropriate just to skip a little bit of it, I think let's just read all of it. Can I get an amen? amen? Ephesians 4 verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not, everybody say, is not. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. We're going to stop right here for just a minute because the Apostle Paul who wrote this to a church that was in a city named Ephesus that kind of looks a lot like Austin. There was a worldly vibe about Ephesus that made the core of who the believers, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, there was a opposition to their way of life because they had a city way of life and now they have a kingdom way of life and they are not the same. They are not the same. And so Paul is writing encouraging this church and saying, hey, remember, there's a new operating system that you are living from that is different because you love Jesus. There's a way of life. There's a way you see life. There's a way that you talk in life. There's a way that you spend your money. There's a way that you spend your time that reflects the kingdom of heaven. Jesus alive in us changes everything in us, it affects everything. It affects what we do, how we think, how we live. Verse 21. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self. Everybody say new self. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Jesus, we're made new. We are born again. We get a new self. And in that new self, that's a new mind. It means it, it, it is going to affect everything. The old is gone and the new is here, who we were is no longer who we are. We have been made new, created to be like God, to reflect him in all that we do. And then Paul goes on, and he kind of steps from the theoretical into the very practical, and he says, church, this is what it looks like when you are following and living in the way of Jesus. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. If you steal, circle that one. That one's for you. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying to us that the gospel of Jesus touches every part of our lives. How we treat each other. How we talk to each other. How we live. How we make money. How we spend our money. Everything is impacted and should look like the grace of God. And this is where I want to land. Verse 31 and I would say that this is the oil in the motor of verses 16 through 30, meaning that if we don't get this, all of these other things are just hopes and dreams. Verse 31 says, get rid of all. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving. Everybody say forgiving. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How many of you want to move forward in your life? How many of you want to take some ground in your life? How many of you are not satisfied with where you are? There's something in you that says there has to be more. That drive can drive you to want to be more successful in your career. It can drive you to have a better marriage. It can drive you to have deeper relationships. It can drive you to have a, a, a longing in your heart fulfilled in the living God and not in the things of the flesh. And that drivenness can push us to God. We want to move forward in our life. But hear me, we will not grow. We will not move forward 
We will not become all that God has called us to be if we don't forgive those who have hurt us in the past. You can't move forward in your life if you first don't deal with the unforgiveness in your life. Today, the talk, this title is Chains of Unforgiveness. Chains of Unforgiveness. And can we just be honest this morning? Because I'm going to be real with you. If we're not honest here in this moment, this isn't going to move any of us forward. We, we have to be real and we can't pretend that just saying the words, I forgive you, does the full work of forgiveness in us. Forgiveness is a process. Real forgiveness, and, and I'm not talking about you needing to forgive someone who cut you off this morning. I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the petty forgiveness. I'm talking about the unforgivable things. I'm talking about forgiving what feels like it is unforgivable. And look, look, I'll tell the truth. Forgiving is hard. Forgiving, really forgiving is really hard. And a lot of the time, I don't want to forgive because I want to be bitter and angry and maybe rage a little bit, maybe say some things, maybe post some things on Facebook. Hello. Because if we're honest, we really want whoever hurt us to hurt as bad as us. And here's why the human heart is transactional. The human heart's transactional. You might be like, Pastor, what do you mean? Great question. You guys are great question askers. I'm thankful for the questions that you ask and the notes that you take. Well, I think to understand this reality of the human heart, you have to first start at the beginning of it all. Genesis 1, the creation of the world. Before sin entered the earth, God walked with Adam and with Eve. In the cool of the day, they were one. They had relationship with one another. There was no distance between who they were and the righteousness of the God who created them and who they served. But sin entered the earth. And when sin entered the earth... There was separation that entered the earth. There was a divide that happened between the righteousness of God, the purity of God, and the depravity and the sinful nature of the people on the earth. And God from that moment put into motion a rescue mission to save the world from itself. And in the middle of that mission was something that became called the sacrifice of atonement. You can find it in the book of Leviticus. And it was performed by the priest. And it was a place of atoning. It was a place of paying for the sins of the people. And how the sacrifice of atonement would work is that they would find a perfect lamb. 
They would bring that perfect lamb to the priest, and then the priest would place their hands on the lamb. And they would confess the sins of the people. And then the lamb would be sacrificed. And the blood that was shed from the lamb, it was taking the punishment of sin, that is death. The lamb was standing in the gap for the people. Now for us, when we look at this through the lens of our New Testament understanding of Jesus, this was God painting a picture of the perfect sacrifice, the final atoning sacrifice, Jesus, who was to come and not sin and to be without blemish and to be perfect and stand in the gap and take upon himself all of our sin, all of my sin, so that that gap, that separation can be closed. That's the good news of Jesus. Are you with me? Jesus atoned for our sins, the debt of our sin, the debt of my sin, the debt of your sin has been forever paid for through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And we are forgiven forever because of what he has done, regardless of what we have done. Are you tracking with me? This is good news. This is good news. Jesus paid our debt. Colossians 2 verse 13 says it this way. When you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Here we go again, echoing a little bit of Ephesians 4. You have been made new. You were once dead. Now you're alive. The old is gone. The new has come. And he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. What Jesus did canceled the debt, canceled our charge, of our charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid our debt of sin. What sin has taken from us, Jesus restores to us at the story of the redemption of our lives is a story of a transaction of grace. There was a transaction of grace that happened when Jesus died on the cross. In 1 Peter 2 verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been made healed. Even though we are guilty of what we did. Even though we are deserving of what Jesus took. All that punishment, he stood in our place so that we could be free. And the human heart longs for wrongs to be made right. The human heart longs for there to be restoration where there's brokenness. The human heart longs for it. Our, our, our hearts long for wrongs to be made right. And this is why when we read Ephesians 4 verse 31, it sounds so good. But it can be so hard. Because grace, undeserved love and favor is hard. It's hard to receive. And at times it's hard to give. 
to really get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. That fights against our flesh because everything in us wants those who have hurt us to pay for what they stole from us. The debt. We want them to pay a debt. So if you stole my peace, I want to steal your peace. If you stole my money, I want to steal your money. When we are hurting, what our sin nature wants is for those who have hurt us to hurt more than us. And that's because we are looking for a debt of pain to be paid with pain. We want to be the debt collector. Some of you have heard the story. It's a classic. And if you have, I, I uh, invite you to enjoy my shame. If you haven't heard it, when Liz and I first got engaged, you know, you do the whole Liz is my beautiful wife. She's actually speaking at Antioch Baton Rouge this morning. When we first got engaged, you know, you do the whole registering thing, which I think you should be able to register for like every new season of life, you know. Like, got a new job? Register for some clothes. Send out a link. Feel free to support me. You know what I mean? People do GoFundMes for all sorts of things now. You know, like, why can't we just register for stuff, you know? So you do the registration thing. Now, back in the day, like back a long time ago when I got married, like 20 years ago, they would, you'd go to a store. You used to have to go to stores. This is crazy. You had to leave your house. This is nuts. You had to like put clothes on. You had to go somewhere. You had to talk to someone in their face. They had to explain to you, this is how this is going to work. It's phenomenal. It was cool. I tell you what, I kind of longed for those days a little bit. And what we did is they gave us like a little gun. How many of you got like the little gun? Do they still do that? No, there's no way they do that. They still do that? Yeah, maybe so. So they give you the little gun, and all you do, man, it's just dangerous, dude. You can just boop, 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 boop. You just scan anything you want. You're just pop, 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 pop. Now, I realized, and actually Liz and I realized together, wow, we're having too much fun, and we don't have anything. We need a lot of things. And so we need to be strategic about what we scan, because if we scan it, someone might buy it for us, and it might be a want and not a need. Can I get an Amen. And we had decided one of the things that were going to be in the need or in the want category and not the need category was China. Y'all know this stuff? The plates that you don't use? The plates that in my house are like protected in like these cases. We don't even see them. And my wife's family keeps giving us more of it that we still don't see. They just hand you a bin, a protective bin. Hey, here's another set of china. And you're like, thank you for something we will never use. And they're like, wow, but it's, it's worth a lot. And you're kind of like, is it really? Because I looked on eBay and no one's looking to buy china. So I don't know how I turn this into money, which is what I need, <laughs> right? And so we decided, you know what? We're not going to register for China. We decided that together, so I fought. This was when I was, you know, in my early 20s, when I thought when things were decided, they actually were. I was so silly of me in marriage. <laughs> I go out of town, 
I was in sales at the time. I go out of town. I get a phone call. Hey, babe. Um, I was at Dillard's today, and I saw just the cutest china I had ever seen in my life. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I want this. I'm just going to register for it. And I'm like, come again? I thought you said that we weren't going to do this. And honestly, it's because I knew her family. My, pa- my family's poor, all right? Like, like Poe. We don't, we don't have enough money to finish the word. So I'm not worried. Like, my parents are going to get, you know, my family is going to give paper plates, right? That's where we're at. But her family's going to buy china. I'm like, I don't need your family to buy china. I need them to buy a couch, a vacuum. And so I, I was, like, you can call it silly, but, man, I was so mad. And you know what? I wasn't just mad. I actually felt betrayed. It felt like betrayal because we had decided something and then you did something without asking, without talking about it. You just informed me. You just said, yo, I read, I did this thing that we said we weren't going to do. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, how in the world do you think that that is okay? Now, now, let me just take you in to one of the reasons why I know that unforgiveness keeps you chained to your past. is because for the next seven years, every time Liz and I would get in a fight of any sort, guess what I would bring up? The freaking China, dude. You know what the problem is, is you registered for that China. <laughs> and she would get to the point where she's looking at me like, really, bro? Like, are we still here? Like, we're, 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 we're having a disagreement about where we're going to go to dinner, and you're saying it's the China's fault? <laughs> but that's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness holds you. In the very thing that you wish you could move forward from. And here's the thing, man. Look, China is silly. That's dumb. It is dumb. <laughs> we have like 12 sets of it. It's all in the garage. Never once used. She's not here to defend herself. So I'm just going for it. <laughs> stuff like China buying China, that's nothing compared to some of the stuff that people have stolen from some of you. Things you'll never get back, like your innocence. If you were abused, if you were abused emotionally, if you were abused sexually, you never get that back. You never get that back. There there is real bitterness, real rage, real anger for what was stolen from you. There's a debt that needs to be paid. There's a lot of things that need to be made right. You would give anything to get over it. You want to forget it, but it just keeps coming up. It comes up in your relationships. It affects your life, and you try to bury it. You try to put it in the bottom of an elevator shaft. You try to put sand and concrete on top of it, but you just seemingly can never move forward from it. That chain is tight. 
But how do you forgive someone for that? Like, how do you really forgive someone who did something to you, betrayed you in a way that you can't even talk about it? And you hear Ephesians 4, that you need to get rid of all rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice and to be kind and compassionate to one another and to forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. And you're like, hey, that sounds really, really cute. But there's about a billion dollars of unsettled debt of pain in my soul. And what do I do with that? What do I do with that? And what I'm about to say might seem very strange because everything in us wants to move forward from the hurt and the pain that we're experiencing. But the way forward is actually backwards. The way forward is backwards. At the center of the redemption story is Jesus paying the debt of our sin. And at the center of the healing in our story is letting Jesus and only Jesus be the debt canceller for the wrongs done to us in our life. What unforgiveness is, is us wanting to be the debt canceller, to make sure that those who wronged us, and, 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 and be honest, you know what? Sometimes those who wronged us, we're pointing that finger at ourselves, the things that we did, the bad choices that we made, those regrets that you can't get back. And so we think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repay this debt by walking around in shame because we want to be the debt canceller. We want to move from it, but it's unforgiveness that's chaining us to our past. And I think this desire in us to be the debt canceller, to be the debt collector for ourselves in our own lives instead of Jesus drove Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, to ask a question in Matthew 18, verse 21. And Peter said this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? It's got to be seven. What he's saying is, how many times do I have to do it your way until I can do it my way? How many times do I have to do this forgiveness thing until I can be the debt collector and I can make them pay for what they stole from me. And Jesus' response was, I'll tell you, it's not seven times, it's 77 times. And if you're a math person, you're like, cool, 77. Then I can do it my way. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're seeing this wrong. Forgiveness is not an obligation. Forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is not an obligation. Forgiveness is freedom. And through the cross of Christ, we have been forgiven so that the baggage of our past no longer has an effect on our future. This is what forgiveness does. It frees us from the consequences of our sin. Unforgiveness keeps us stuck. 
We can't move forward because we're chained to our past. And to step into the chain-breaking power of forgiveness, we have to first understand, please write this down, forgiveness is a choice, it is not a feeling. Mm. It's about to get tough. I'm going to let you know the next 10 minutes, uncomfortable. (laughs) Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice. You choose to forgive. After Jesus tells Peter that there's no end to when we can stop forgiving people, he tells a story to Peter and to those who are listening to unpack how the kingdom of heaven works and how it's different than how the kingdom of this world works. And Jesus would do that from time to time, and they're actually called parables. And so Jesus launches into a parable on the back end of Peter's question of how many times do I have to do it your way before I can do it my way? And Jesus says this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. And as he begins, to set, begins the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Can we just say, that's a lot. That's a lot of gold. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged him, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and let him go. Wow. The debt of 10,000 bags of gold, this huge thing. He actually was wrong, but in Jesus' story, he was forgiven of that debt. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 shillings from last night's poker game, 100 silver coins, and he begged him and began to choke him Uh Uh-oh. Began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees, begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had a man, he had this man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told the master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. Say it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. I have to choose to forgive even if I don't want to forgive. Jesus makes it super clear. Sometimes you don't want to do the right thing. Sometimes because of what you have done, because of what has happened to you, because of what is owed to you, we are not going to want to forgive 
people who hurt us, lied to us, or stole from us. No, we're going to want to not forgive them. We're going to want to punish them. But Jesus says, it's not about what you want to do. It's about what I did for you. It's about the forgiveness that you have received. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I want you to see something because Jesus actually tells us what it feels like when we live in unforgiveness. Because he says it's like being thrown into jail and tortured. That's what unforgiveness does. You literally get stuck in a jail, a jail cell of your bitterness and rage and anger and desire for malice, desire to do evil things. You get locked in it and it tortures you and you feel stuck and you feel miserable. And it doesn't matter how terrible what you went through was. The key out of that cell of torture is to forgive. It's to choose to forgive. Forgiveness is not saying what happened to you is okay. Are you with me? Forgiveness is not giving power to the person who wronged you. Forgiveness is freeing you from the chains that unforgiveness puts on you. Forgiveness is freedom. It's saying that you are trusting in the grace that you have received from God to then be able to show grace to those who wronged you. I mentioned that it took years for me. I said seven years for me to get over the way that Liz wronged me by registering for China. Some of you are like, dude, you're shallow. And I'll be the first to tell you, I totally am. I'm weak. I'm emotional. It took me seven years. And I remember I was venting to a friend. How many of you have ever vented to a friend? Venting to a friend out of some frustration. And I'm thankful for good friends who don't let you vent the wrong things. If you don't have a friend who can correct your venting, you don't have a friend. Can I get an amen? If you have a friend who's agreeing with everything that you're saying, they're probably not a good friend. And I'm venting and I'm justifying my frustration about all that Liz had did and didn't do. And I'm saying it's all because of this stupid China thing and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of just abruptly stopped me. And he asked me a question that changed my marriage. And if I'm honest with you, it changed my life. He simply said, hey, J.D., just real quick, how are you demonstrating grace to Liz? How are you demonstrating grace? grace to Liz because it sounds like you want her to pay a debt that she can't pay. Sounds like you want her to pay a debt that she can't pay, but a debt that grace can pay. Grace can pay that debt. And until you show grace to her about this, you will never get over this. And he was right. I had to choose to forgive. Yeah, I was wronged. What she did was not right but my holding on to that unforgiveness was keeping me in a jail of torture, a loop of frustration. And it was grace that paid the debt. Is there something in your story? 
Is there something maybe in your marriage, in your past, maybe something with your family, with your parents, that just seems to keep coming up? Just seems to keep making its way forward no matter how hard you try to move past it, bury it, to get rid of it. You can't seem to leave it behind. The way forward is going backwards. It's going back to that place and showing undeserved grace. The grace that we received from Jesus to those who wronged us, hurt us, and stole things from us. Because church, his grace is sufficient. Are you with me? His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for you and it's sufficient for them. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. His grace is enough. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. If you're here today and you need prayer for anything, we're a praying church. We believe prayer changes things. If you need prayer for anything, our leaders are going to begin to make their way forward. They're going to begin to come down, life group leaders, elders, staff members can be able to make their way down. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, don't leave here without coming up and letting some of our amazing team pray for you. And especially if you need grace to show grace. If you need grace to show grace. If you need grace to be able to choose to forgive some of the awful, terrible things that happened to you, were said about you, that you went through in your life, that you want to move past, but they just keep you locked in to where you are. Come up here and let us pray for you. And man, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never met the great debt canceler, if he's never come into your heart and became the king of your life, Today's your day. Come up here. Let us pray for you. Let someone tell you the story of Jesus and his redemption and his grace and make that decision today. Let's pray together and then we're going to worship and respond. Jesus, we want to be those who look like you. God, we want to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice so that we can be kind, so that we can be compassionate so that we can love one another, forgiving each other just as you forgave us. So God, come and help us be like the king who had compassion and forgave and not like the servant who was bitter and enraged because Jesus, you paid it all. We love you, God. We love you. Amen.